So there's a name that might not be familiar to you unless you've taken some sort of acting class somewhere along the way in your life, um, or if you've watched Inside the Actor's Studio, because um, they mention him a lot in that, with the name Konstantin Stanislavski. Um, he was a, a Russian actor and director who is probably most well-known um, for what's called the Stanislavski method, or the method, or you know, often referred to as just method acting. He's sort of the, the father of that. Um, once said, you know, acting, you know, it's not so difficult, you just have to pretend to be someone else. Um, he was all about getting into the role of, of whatever character you were playing in whatever play, whatever production you were in. And there's this phrase, uh, one of the most famous quotes of his, uh, I've put here up on the screen, as there are no small parts, only small actors. And it makes a lot of sense for him to have said that with his methodology, his whole philosophy of acting. Realizing that regardless of the size of the role, as far as number of lines on the page, the, the amount of time that your character might be on stage... It wasn't a small role because if you really inhabit that character, if you really get yourself into that character and understand his life, his, his motivations, his hopes and dreams, everything about that character, you realize that there's a whole world, a whole life represented by that character. Now, a small actor might not see it that way and might think it's just a small part, but really, whatever small role they have to play, well, there's a whole universe, a whole world that has led up to that moment. Now, admittedly, that's not usually the way we see things in life. Now, a lot of times, you know, a preacher will get up and say, well, we have this problem, and they really mean you have this problem. No, no, I really mean we, <laughs> because this is something that I know I do time and time again. In fact, there's been, I don't know, for years now, it's sort of a running joke between Christy and I, you know, that we'll see something and say like, oh, there's a, there's a great line for your resume right there. Right there. The, the examples that often come to mind for me, like we'll be watching some sporting event on TV, like watching a football game, and you say like, oh yeah, there's the line I want on my resume. I'm the guy that takes the, uh, the Gatorade bottle and squirts water through the face mask into the player's mouth. That's, that's my job. I'm the water squirter. Like there's, there's a great line right there. Or even better, I think, in, in basketball, like after there's been a big play down on one end, and then every, the whole, both teams are down at the other end of the court, the guys that come, and they wipe the sweat off the floor. You know, like there, there's, there's a line for your resume right there, sweat mopper. You know, that's you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's great. And I mean, it ha- it's happened over the years. I don't know how many times I said to Christy, like, ah, there's, there's a job you, line you want on your resume. That, I can't wait to you know, have that business card, you know, to, to hand out. But I have to admit, that is such an awful way of looking at things. That is such a skewed way of looking at things. To think that because that job maybe isn't one that I'd want to have, maybe isn't one that I'd be proud to say, yeah, that was me, that's my job. I get to wipe that sweat off the floor. Maybe I've missed something vitally important. And in that context, whenever I come to the story in in Mark chapter 11 that we just looked at, sometimes called the, the triumphal entry. As Jesus is heading in to Jerusalem to these shouts of, of Hosanna. We talk a lot about, and we focus on, and rightfully so, the, the reaction of the people, the, the way he's being heralded as, as a king, who he is, how he's rightfully receiving this glory of the people, of his disciples. But when I read that story... 
I can't help but think of how part of it begins. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, basically, go get a donkey. (laughs) Go get a young donkey for me to ride in on. Now, we don't have any real indication in the scripture in any of the the accounts of, of this event where we have names attached to this. But I like to think, you know, in, in my own little imagined picture of what this might look like, I like to think that it was James and John. I like to think that it was the same guys who at one point, you know, asked from Jesus, like, oh, give us the power to, like, call down fire from the heavens on those people. Or the, the same two guys who, along with their mother, had come to Jesus and said, oh, can, can we have the seats at your right hand and left hand when you come in to your kingdom? Let us have the places of honor. It just, I really hope, I mean, it's not in the text, this is just the Nathan version, but I really hope that it was James and John or those two unnamed disciples who Jesus said, you know what? This big thing's about to happen. I just want you to go get the donkey. That's your job. That's your role in this. Of course, if it was James and John, you know, as much as they seem to want to elevate themselves, at least at, at this point, you know, I can't help but think that this would be their business card right here. You know, James, John, son of Zebedee, you know, donkey logistics supervisor. You know, any small job that we have. You know, we have this desire, and I think they did, I think we do too, to try and elevate the, the sound of that and make ourselves sound more important, feel more important about the job that we've been called to do. We all want to feel important. We all want to feel like the role that we play, that it matters. Although, I think we have a pretty skewed perspective on what important looks like. There are small acts of obedience that can usher in greatness. This was a small thing that these two unnamed disciples did. Once again, really hope it was James and John. But these two, and the fact that we don't even get their names probably even speaks to how small we should see their role. But it wasn't really that small. Because see, this small act of obedience, doing this thing they were called to do, which was not a glamorous job, wasn't something that had any great title like donkey logistics supervisor. It wasn't anything great that they did. But look what it led to. Their small act of obedience, going to get the donkey for Jesus to ride in on. And what resulted from their act of obedience, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The people laying down their cloaks and the branches, exalting, giving glory to God. And then also saying, oh, hey, let's give it up for the donkey team. too." No, nobody said that. <laughs> You know, maybe somebody in the back saying, you know, as the disciples were following him, like, hey, that's a great donkey back there. I wonder who got that. No, that's not where the focus of the story was. People weren't celebrating the donkey getters. (laughs) Yeah. They were celebrating Jesus. They were giving glory to Jesus. The obedience didn't get the glory, but that's just as it should be. Jesus got the glory that came, that started from this one small act of obedience. It's not our role to play to get the glory. It's our role to obey. There's a verse that always sticks with me in Psalm 84, verse 10. It says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
And that's the, the really familiar part of the verse. There have been many songs that have come from that part of the verse. But the second half really sticks with me. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be the one that just holds the door in the Lord's house than get to dwell and just live in comfort inside the tents of the wicked, of those far from God. This verse, and also a passage in 1 Chronicles 15, as the, uh, the ark of the Lord is being prepared to come back to Jerusalem, the glory of the Lord is coming back home. Um, there's a passage there where some, you know, in, in the real key part of the story, some unnamed people were the ones who were to be the door holders to help usher in the glory of God. And, and that passage, and, and this verse as well, is one that uh, Louis Giglio, who many of you are familiar with, and the, uh, the conference that he started years ago, the, the Passion Conference. It's this big conference for, for college-age um, people. And um, they have a load of volunteers that it takes to pull off something big like that. And I love that they don't use the term volunteers. They just call them door holders. No matter what your job is, you're a door, you're a door holder. That's, that's what your job is. That's your title. No matter what team you're on, no matter what task you've been assigned, you're a door holder. Because they know that it's better to be a door holder in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the house of the wicked. And in some ways, and just stay with me for a second, it's probably even better right now to be a door holder in the house of the Lord than even to be dwelling and just staying put inside the house of the Lord. I mean, we have eternity to dwell with him face to face. But right now, we have the even greater honor of doing our small part holding the door open for others to see inside. He's entrusted us, God has entrusted us with a remarkable task. We've seen His glory. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but we don't just stay put there. We have the honor of holding the door open for others to see and for others to enter, to enlarge His household, to expand His kingdom. What could be better than that? It's like it says in Acts 20, verse 24. And Paul says, he's, well, all he wants to do is to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He didn't want glory for himself. He just wanted to complete the task that had been given to him. There was no greater honor, no greater task than that, than just to do whatever role God had given him. That's what he wanted to do even if it's just holding the door open for someone else to see inside to the glory of the Lord. Now, I don't mean to minimize leadership. Leadership in the kingdom matters, but I think it looks a lot different than the place of honor we might expect. I think of John the Baptist when he realizes and understands who this Jesus is. His response is, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's his time. I need, I, it's time for me to decrease and for him to increase. I need to become less and he will become more. But that's not usually how we measure success. Maybe we should measure success a little bit differently. Not really in terms of success. Not by our advancement. Not by our own renown. But instead by our faithfulness to what God's called us to by the glory that our actions direct toward Jesus. How well we accomplish 
the mission, that mission that's up there? How well are others being drawn closer to him? Are our small acts of obedience bringing someone a step closer to the kingdom? Are they helping someone else see a little bit more clearly the glory of God? Are we holding that door open for them to come inside and to see what we've been blessed to see? Are we satisfied and do we even exult in our small parts? The donkey retriever, the door holder, whatever small job you may feel like you've been assigned. There's this guy, Bob Goff, that I've been able to hear speak a couple of times. What a great book called uh, Love Does. And he's a very successful guy. He's a successful attorney. He, he leads this amazing organization that helps to rescue children out of captivity, even children that are really doomed to be sacrificed at the hands of these witch doctors in Uganda. And thanks in part to his work with that and the success he's had with that and all the people that he's helped to rescue, he's a, the, a council general of Uganda. He's got status, he's got titles, he's got degrees. But if you ever get his business card, you know what it says? Helper. That's the title that he's given himself. That's all he is. His business card just says helper. In fact, he's humble enough that, and wants to be accessible enough that if you do pick up his book, if you look through the last pages, um, his personal cell phone number he published in the book. You know, his publisher said he was crazy. Um, probably really thought he was crazy when the book became a bestseller. But he said, you know what? If I'm going to be real in this, if I'm really you know, going to, like, it's so easy to become less and less accessible as you do more and more. So I'm going to put my number there, and I'm not letting it go to voicemail. So if someone calls that number, he's going to answer if he can. That kind of humble service, you know, it's even difficult for me sometimes. You know, I look at someone like that who is give, great glory has gone to God because of his humility and service that I could actually get a little jealous, a little envious of how much he's been able to do in the name of the Lord. You can probably think of someone like that. Someone that you look at their example and you're like, oh man, I wish that's what I was doing in the kingdom. Look at all the good that's being done in God's name through that person. Why couldn't my job be like that? kind of ironic that we would look at someone who was humble enough to obey and so God does great things through their humble obedience and then we look at them without humility, wanting something that might make us stand out a little more, maybe even bring us a little more glory. But I heard said recently, anytime you feel jealous or envious, you reject your uniqueness and it's a criticism of God's plan for you. That one stung a little bit. I read it. Anytime you Look at someone else and think, why can't that be my job? Why can't that be my role to play? I want to do something big for you, God. Why can't you call me to do something amazing that people will see, people will notice? When we're jealous or envious of someone else's role, I can't help but think that God's sitting there thinking, man, don't you know what I have for you? I've given you a job too, and it's no less important than theirs because it's from me. It's part of my will. It's part of my work. It's my kingdom. Any role that you can play in that is one of honor. And we think about those in Scripture, especially, who did seek their own glory. 
Those are not examples we want to follow. We, we think about the people who got together to build the Tower of Babel so that their name would be great and be remembered. And God said, oh no, we'll have none of this. Think about Saul, who one of the tipping points that drove him into his madness is when he heard in the streets people singing, oh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul said, oh no, we can't have that. Seeking for his own glory. Think about Simon the sorcerer who said, oh no, I want that power that you guys have. You, you apostles, give, I want that power. I want to be looked on that way. I want to be the one that gets to decide who gets these miraculous gifts. Not for God's glory, but for his own. Look at Ananias and Sapphira, who really were doing something good, but for all the wrong reasons. They sold the land that they had, and they wanted the renown. They wanted the glory. Oh, look how much we did for God. We sold this land, and we gave it all when they didn't. They didn't really want to serve in that way, but they wanted the glory for doing that. It was within their power. They, could, they didn't have to give it all. That wasn't the problem. They sought their own glory, and they lied. They lied to God to try and get the glory that others had received for giving so much. And we could go on and on. And every time we see an example of someone who seeks their own glory, we know that they're not seeking the glory of God, and they're probably not playing the role that God has called them to play. Now, I speak of this in terms of, of these small jobs that aren't really that small, but some of us do have a public or visible role to play. And if you do have a public or visible role where notice could come to you, it's a very dangerous line that you have to walk. We have to do all that we can to direct the glory to God. It's like when, when Paul and Barnabas were about to be worshipped as gods and they were saying like, oh, you know, the, they were about to start building altars to them and they said, no, stop this. We are just men like yourselves. Don't do anything to give us glory. But they did all that they could to redirect that glory back to the God who had sent them. So if you're in a public role, make sure that glory is not coming to you, is being redirected to God. Also remembering Also knowing that there's a very good chance that the best, most lasting work that you're going to do in the kingdom will likely occur in that moment when no one is watching. As soon as you start to feel important about this big thing that you get to do for God, this public thing, this visible thing that you do for God, stop and think, you know what? This probably is nothing compared to what God is going to call me to do in a simple, humble act of obedience that no one will ever see so that the glory can only go to God. Now, in one sense, I skipped a slide here. In one sense, every job, every part is a small part. Compared to the glory of the one who's given us the task, compared to the glory of God himself. That slide says, you know, big God, little me. (laughs) Our God is so great that anything that we could do in his kingdom, in that scale, is a small part to play. But really, there are no small parts. I think Stanislavski had it more right than he would have ever known. 
not just in the world of acting, of plays, on the stage. But there are no small parts in the kingdom of God. There really are no small roles to play because they all matter for the mission of God. No matter what God has called you to do today, whatever obedience, whatever small mundane or seemingly small and mundane task he may have given to you, a word of encouragement, an act of service, an expression of love, a a phone call, a hug, a gift, your time, whatever it may be that God may be asking from you today, it can be very tempting to say, "Ah, that's just such a little thing, it's not really going to matter that much. I could do it or not do it, it's not going to change the world. Really? Something that God may be calling you to do might not change the world. Sorry, my God is in the world-changing business. If there's something that he's called you to do, if it seems small and insignificant, oh, just watch out. (laughs) You may be going and just getting that donkey that seems like nothing. It seems like such a menial job. But you may find yourself turning around, hearing shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. You don't know what your small act of obedience may bring about in this world that will give glory to God. So whatever he's called you to do this morning, please listen. Please obey whatever call has come your way from him. If the call that you're hearing today is that first call of obedience, obedience to the gospel of Christ, that first act of saying, I'm with you, God. I will do what you've called me to do. That first act of humble submission to God's will, seeking after his glory and not our own. That first act of saying, okay, God, I'm now giving my life to you. Making that confession that you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for you, that he raised again so that you could have a new life as well, to come to him, to be buried in his name in baptism, to be raised up again, to walk a new life. In some ways, and I'm sure in the eyes of the world, that seems like a very small thing. It doesn't take that long, you know? I'd say if we really really hurried to get ready, you know, 10, 15 minutes start to finish. looks like a very small thing from the outside. But it's that small act of obedience that will change everything for you and can change everything for those who come across your path moving forward. If there's any way that you need to obey him more fully today, and if there's any way that we can help you do that, please come and let us know while we stand and while we sing.